Jazz Heads Radio. We find people whose heads are full of music and we delve inside just for you. Welcome to the New Year edition of Jazz Heads. We're talking to people who are into the jazz scene in Yorkshire and today we have a very special guest. It's the man who set up a jazz club which Claire Martin described as one of the most important clubs in the UK with an enthusiasm and vibe that is second to none. The club's shortly celebrating its 30th anniversary and today we welcome Alex Sykes to Jazzheads. Tell us a little bit about your history with the club. Uh, I know talking to some people they say what Wakefield has one of the best jazz clubs in the UK. Uh, with some surprise. So uh, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how the club came about. Sure. It it, it all started um, through my moving back t- to Wakefield from London. And uh, I'd had many years interest in jazz. And, of course, in London there were lots of places you could go and all the big Americans came and that sort of thing. So I, we moved back to Wakefield about 30 years ago. And uh, at that time, the Wakefield Arms pub, which is now desolate outside Kirgit Station, was a centre for music, not, not just jazz. Um, but there was jazz every week, and particularly on the Friday. And we... We being Faith, my wife and I went, we used to go more or less every Friday. Um, the music was organised by um, Jim Burkett, who played the guitar and is now a professor of jazz at um, Newcastle. It's now the uni- part of the university. So he would invite, he had a regular piano player, bass player, and then he would invite people he knew through the college, through his gigs, Mm -hmm. to play on a Friday evening. And um, it, it was a great variety. There were several sax players, obviously, uh, Snake Davis, for instance, was a regular and was very popular and always had a, a good audience. Nicky Isles was a, a regular accompanist, shall we say. Um, and that they, I didn't have anything to do with that at all. I was just a punter. Um, so when it stopped, the the manager of the pub, for whatever reason, we never really find found out. Uh, decided, he, you know, it may have been I'm getting a bit older. I can't do with so much work. The jazz will have to go. So I just me and Faith talked about it, and I just thought, well, what a shame, you know, because it was there's nothing else like it as far as I know. In this in Wakefield area, I mean, not the jazz in Leeds. Um, so we decided I would look for a venue. Well, 
it's easier said than done to find <laughs> a, a suitable venue. So I spent quite some time visiting various pubs, asking people who are, you know, lived locally, say in Renthorpe or somewhere like that. Is, are there, and I went to a few places, but there was nothing really grabbed my attention uh, until at the bottom of the road, <laughs> 150 yards from our house, is, as you well know, the um, sports club, Wakefield Sports Club. And um, I knew quite a few people down there, mainly through rugby. And um, so I, there were several people I could talk to about it. And uh, to cut a long story short, they decided to give it a go. And I was working, obviously, uh, full time. So Friday night seemed like a good idea. Now, if you talk to some of the London musicians now, Friday doesn't seem like a good idea because the traffic has got ever, ever, as you know yourself, travelling down to London. Uh, it's, it's got worse and worse. I mean, I'll never forget um, uh, Stacey Kent. Uh, she was, we used to book her regularly. She lived in London, of course. And one Friday, uh, she rang me up. I used to dread the phone ringing on a Friday tea time. And she was somewhere down the M1 and it had all snarled up and everything. And anyway, she arrived. Some of the band arrived. I think Dave Newton was, was on the piano. So at least we had a piano and bass just to keep things moving. And she arrived, I can't remember, I think it was about 20 to 10. And went, you know, came in, went straight on to the stand. They did what they do. They, they stayed with us, her and her husband, Jim, who, who was a saxophone player in the band. And they stayed with us. When we got up the next morning, to have, we're having breakfast. She couldn't remember the gig. She just had no. Because when she arrived, I mean, she's a pretty cool person. She's a very bright person. But, you know, the, the worry all for it hours. Just a blur. It was, yeah, it was, she couldn't remember. And when she got on stage, what was the reaction? Well, to us, she seemed normal. She is, it's the usual state again, because she talks a bit, she's a witty person, sitting in here on the Saturday morning, and she said, I, honestly, I cannot remember a thing about it. So, <laughs> so you probably developed a reputation for actually scaring musicians coming, yeah. <laughs> coming up the M1. It's, Alec, what were the uh, first artists that you brought to Wakefield? Well, the, the first known musician to come to Wakefield, which was about the fifth week, because we started at the beginning of May in uh, 1987, I think it was. 
And about the fourth or fifth gig, uh, we had Don Weller, well-known saxophone player, and he's still going. And at that time, uh, well, we'd only just started really, but any visiting musicians, uh, we had very little money in terms of grants, assistance, or anything like that. So musicians could stay here if, if they wished. Mm -hmm. Usually had a meal with us in Friday evening before the gig, mm -hmm. and then some of them drove back to London, some of them would stay, and Don stayed. And at, at, the, um, at that time, he... To say he liked to drink was uh, an understatement, <laughs> Don. Uh, he, he was, you know, he, he loved drinking beer. And he rang me on the Friday tea time to say he was at the station, the railway station. So I said, uh, oh, I'll come and pick you up then. And he said, no, no, I'll, I'll walk, you know, I'll, I'll walk up. So I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll probably walk down and, and meet you because, you know, you may not find it easy to get here. Anyway, he did get here and he'd stopped off in two or three pubs on the way <laughs> and he'd already had four pints. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a lovely man. He's really shy. I mean, it's part of it. He, he's, yeah, sure. he's really shy. He's a big guy. You wouldn't want to annoy him, although he's not like that at all. And um, it was funny because on the Saturday morning, we, Faith and I, usually go shopping. So Don was still in bed, so we said... Uh, well, we'll just leave him there and go do the shopping at Sainsbury's. Okay, we went, came back, still in bed. Faith went up and uh, to have a look. It was in the back bedroom. Uh, she, Faith was a nurse by profession. She came down and said, I think he might be dead. <laughs> <laughs> As we all know, he wasn't, but he just liked to lie in. You know? Fair enough. So um, he, st he stayed with us several times after that. It was, um, but it was incredible, actually. I can't remember the time scale, but he just made a decision. I think it, I think it was Clark Tracy who told me about it. But he just made a decision that he was going to stop drinking. I think he'd also been advised to buy medics, you know, as well. But he did. He just stopped. Yeah, top man. Well, and, that's... and he's still, fortunately, he's still going, you know, doing the business. Yeah, and a great musician. Um, mm. Alec, you've picked uh, ten tracks for us. Yeah. Uh, ten tracks that you would like... Uh, everyone to hear and they're a bit of a chronology of your um, jazz experience and your passion for jazz. Um, perhaps you could tell us a bit about the first track. I know it's uh, a real sultry rhythm and blues yeah, tune yeah. <laughs> uh, by Eric Bostick. Yes, Earl Bostick. Um, 
But by some people uh, would say this isn't jazz, you know, um, because like every pursuit in life, you've always got people who uh, we'd call them snobs, you know, that is it proper jazz, you know, is this proper modern art, you know, that sort of thing. Well, oh, Bostic, I mean, if you look at, shall we say, some of the names that played in his band, and I think on this particular track, there's um, there are two or three people who were famous, and uh, not least John Coltrane. Mm. Now, many people were surprised to hear that it, this is going back when I was much younger that John Coltrane was on old Bostic records, particularly the ones who were a bit snobby, you know. That, uh, but of course, they, they musicians have got to earn some money, and if they have to play a tune they're not particularly fond of, they play it. Well, I think it's a fantastic tune, and it's got some beautiful, long, flowing lines in it. Yeah. Um, uh, why did you pick it, Alec? Well, it... it when I was about 16, um, I was at the local grammar school here and the village, I lived in a mining village, so the, there were pubs, that was it for, as far as entertainment. In Wakefield there were a few uh, youth clubs and they had events for teenagers like me and mm -hmm. dancing and so on. And St George's Youth Club on Broadway in Lupsit, they had a big hall there, and every every Saturday night they had a hop, and so it was made up girls from the high school, girls from Thorns House School, the boys' grammar school. You know, it, it was mainly fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. That was about it. But it was a great place to meet the opposite sex, you know, girls and boys. Quite right. Uh, and it cost you about sixpence to go in. And there was a, a bloke, a young man called, he'd be my age, I suppose, Alan Pierman, who, who I think could probably claim to be the first disc jockey ever in and I uh, and I have to remind you that the records were 78 in those days <laughs> yeah, uh, but he I can't remember if he always started with it but he always played it there was this song well I'd never heard of old Bostic but I just I just loved the, the the music it was just great and to dance to it with an attractive girl from Thorne's house was you know Saturday Night Delight. Um, so he, I mean, there's lots of uh, well-known tracks that, he's, that uh, I like, and I've, I've, I have got a CD with most of the most popular ones on. Um, uh, so really, that's how Earl Bostick came to my notice, and I've always liked it. Mm -hmm. and, Fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> a little youth club in a in a in a mining village, and a, an early DJ um, playing fantastic tunes, actually. Mm. Uh, and the one that you've picked for us, which track have you picked for us? 
Flamingo. Well, that was uh, that was uh, really, really sultry. In fact, pure sex. And I imagine, as a teenager in a in a, in a youth club, uh, that was a perfect introduction to uh, into the night. Um, in fact, there are quite a few stories uh, about Earl Bostick and how he managed to produce that pretty unique sound. Yeah, well, two of them I knew particularly well. Um, the first one was that he took the reed and his pen knife out of his pocket and they didn't quite know why he did it, but he he was supposed to shave it in a certain way and therefore he could make this sound. The other, which is even more amusing, is that he used to put a handful of tacks, nails, down the bell end to get this sound. <laughs> so... <laughs> it was a few years before I realised that no, that 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 wasn't true. <laughs> so uh, to to follow him, uh, we've got Humphrey Littleton, and um, this is a a song 
called Sir Monsieur Key Paul, because at a certain stage of, uh, of his career, he was very fond of Sidney Bechet, and he played quite a few of his, and they're all terrific songs for him to play. And um, this was, uh, I first heard Rilton in the town hall in Leeds, which was, well, is a massive, massive place. Mm. And Humpty Littleton was leading the, um, what was called traditional jazz. There was all sorts of names that people gave to it. Um, but he was one of the flag bearers, really. And he had, he always had a great band. He, he's, this particular band was Roy Williams on trombone, John Barnes sax, Bruce Turner, a significant individual. Apparently, he, he seemed to live on cream cakes. The band would report that, but he 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 played the alto, and he he was a very offbeat person, but great great musician. Um, so the. Uh, Humpy Littleton, my sister took me to the town hall. I, I had an elder sister, she was two years older than me, and she worked, her first job, she worked in Leeds. Now, she started work in those days at 14. She was working in Leeds in a, a print company office, and for some reason, Humphrey Littleton came in, he must have had something ordered and he was collecting. And uh, I've got a photograph actually of, with uh, Joan and Humphrey Littleton. She was tiny, he's enormous. Um, and he gave us some tickets, said, would you like to come to our show, you know? So she didn't hesitate. And uh, we both went off to the, to the gig. Um, if you've been in the town hall, it's a classic, classic of its kind because there's a huge auditorium, then there's the stage, and then round the back of the band or the choir, whatever the performance may be, there are uh, semicircular flat, you can not call them seats, it's just like a long bench. Mm -hmm. And those, of course, are the cheap seats, and uh, we were in the cheap seats. <laughs> so you, you were behind the band, but I, I just loved it straight away, the whole thing.
I, I absolutely love uh, Humphrey Littleton, and it always amazed me how he got away with such rude jokes at 6.30 on Radio 4 in uh, I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue. And his, his, his recollections of Samantha's stories were just so funny. I think my favourite went along the lines of uh, Samantha liked to help out the elderly archivists uh, and she often took them lunch. Uh, their favourite was when she took them homemade uh, cheese sandwiches with a special homemade pickle, but they never complained when she palmed them off with a relish. <laughs> how, how on earth he got away with that? I it's, think it's because he was Humphrey Littleton. Just amazing. Because he was, you know, he was so cool, wasn't he? I mean, he was. It just. And I think the sort of, I mean, he was literally born in Eton, wasn't he? I think his father was a housemaster yeah. uh, in Eaton. So, you yeah. know, he, he came from uh, came from that background. But I, he had such a very career. And mm. uh, I think he even worked in Port Talbot Steelworks for a while. Yeah. I mean, he just, he just uh, amazing guy. It was, it was interesting the way he kept his family out. Nobody knows really much about his family. No, no. Because he never, ever went into that side of his life. He, he was so clever at twisting, you know, somebody had asked him when he didn't want to answer. Yeah. He'd just deflect it, you know. He'd, he, he was bloody clever, blow. He was, he was very clever, but he was also really curious and interested in other people and just a sort of a liver of life. Um, lovely yeah. guy. Yeah, Stacey Kent, he, he liked her and he, she used to do the odd gig with him. And she thought he was wonderful. <laughs> and he liked her as well. <laughs> right, so the next one are we on to now? Uh, Roland Pete with um, Joe Turner. I, I saw this record somewhere and I just got a what we used to call a gramophone. And I was just about to go to university and I bought, I, I, I sort of I thought, this is my sort of music, although I'd never heard the record. Um, so, funnily enough, I got my mother to buy it for me in Leeds because it, was, it wasn't readily available unless you went somewhere in Leeds. And um, I, I used to worry because I didn't know, but the first track on this record, it's called Cherry Red. And it's all about a bloke whose face turns cherry red when he's engaged in a certain activity. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I used to think, I hope my mother doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but Roland Pete, Pete is a Pete Johnson, the piano player, who features significantly on, on this track. And um, it, it, I just love it. The, it. That whole band, this whole album, uh, it, they say that, I can't remember now if it was proud to be true or not, but one of the big bands was playing in Kansas City, Ellington or... Basie, and they did the gig, 
and then they went to the studios uh, to have a quick rehearsal and then record. And this was the album that resulted from it. And then the morning came and that was it. Off they went and mm. this was in the... And so Joe Turner, who he was popular in what you call pop music, really, in sort of rock and roll type stuff that he did, lipstick, powder and paint and stuff like that. But uh, he was great blue singer and there's, there's some marvellous songs on, the, on this uh, particular record. But Roland Pete is a great introduction. Uh, you know, there's people like Joe Newman, Lawrence Brown, Frank West, Walter Page, um, all great individual musicians. So it, it's really loose. You know the the music. It's it's really. I, I've still got the, the original album, which is barely playable, I imagine. But I've got a CD as well. I still play it a lot.
That was absolutely fantastic. I can see why you asked your mother to go all the way to Leeds to uh, buy that for you, Alec. Um, so, what do you have next for us? Um, a beautiful song called Hymn to Freedom, which was featured eventually by many people, but at first by Oscar Peterson. Well, I always liked Oscar Peterson um, and, and his band indeed. Um, but when I heard this particular song, I found it incredibly moving, actually. And it, it made me think, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, he's brilliant. You know, because he started playing when he was about six. And he allegedly, not when he was six, but allegedly he sometimes practiced 18 hours in a day. Now, that's the story. But he certainly practiced a lot. And so some people in jazz will say, oh, it's all technique. Well, if they listen to this and they are, they've got a soul, then they cannot dispute the fact that he is not all technique because it is a wonderful song because the, the, the soul, the feel of it, and it nails the idea that is all technique. I was happy to choose this record as well because Martin Drew, who lives in Wembley, middle of London, was for many years the drummer with Oscar Peterson and he used to play at Wakefield Jazz many times, really. And he would always come up to our house at some stage or even stay, uh, and he was he was one of those blokes who he, I never ever heard him say things like, oh, Oscar said to me the other day, or Joe Pass told me. He never mentioned it, Oscar Peterson, that he was in. And I first, I realised after I'd been talking to him for some time, that when, when I first lived in London, 1963, sometime in the first year, we I lived in sort of Belsize Park, that area of North London, and we used to walk on a Sunday um, below Hampstead Heath to um, a pub called the Tally Ho, in Kentish Town, it was it was one of those big 
between the wars pubs, you know, mm -hmm. thousands of bricks and stuff. But the landlady was keen on jazz and keen on music and they had jazz there every night. Sometimes it was trad, sometimes it was more modern. Sunday lunch, come all ye. So that on the Sunday lunch they had a trio, a quartet perhaps, that they paid as the band at lunchtime. And then anybody who turned up could join in. Great. Uh, and in those days, bottled beer came in very stout uh, wooden cases. And as more people joined the band, so they put more of these wooden cases out for them to stand on. And I've actually seen the band. They always finished with jumping at the woodside. When they started playing jumping at the woodside, you knew that was it. This is the end. However much you shout and cheer, finish. You know, that was, that was it. Always the song. And I've seen as many as five trumpets, seven saxophones wow. on the, that last number because they'd all get up if they were there and, and blow. Uh, so it was a great, it was a great pub. Um, and it was... And Martin drum, used to drum there? Yeah. Once, Tuesday night, went in one Tuesday night and there was this band there and there's the young drummer, pasty-faced, a fag hanging out of the corner of his mouth. Now, I spoke to him about it, obviously, but I can't remember now. I think I think he was about eighteen, and uh, he obviously thought it was cool. You know, you were a jazz drummer, and you had a fag hanging out the side of your mouth. And the next time I met him, actually, he didn't smoke anymore. But um, he was, you know, he was the mainstay uh, with. Um, Oscar Peterson for it, years. It, it, it's true, isn't it, that uh, whenever Oscar Peterson toured Europe, he always asked for Martin Drew to yeah, be his drummer. Yeah. Um, and he's a lovely guy. I, I uh, When he came to the club, um, must have been about seven, eight years ago, uh, he wrote to my son, Happy Birthday Isaac, from Martin Drew, on some drumsticks. Yeah. and gave them to Isaac yeah. for his 11th birthday, which oh. I've still got in the yeah. house. He is, he... Lovely guy. And I took a video of him that night um, with a drum solo that he did, and it's an outstanding drum solo. Yeah. And you can still see it. It's on YouTube. And, in fact, his daughter, when he passed away, his daughter said it's a lovely tribute to, to yeah. his drumming. And it's, it's one of the most popular clips that we have on the Wakefield Jazz uh, YouTube site. Oh, right. He's Martin Drew's drum solo from yeah. all those years ago. Uh, absolutely lovely guy. He um, was. He was. As you know, he was. He was really short, um, and shall we say, slightly overweight, as well. But he was like an old-fashioned gentleman. He'd be sitting down, and Faith would come into the room. He stood up mm. when Faith. Arrived, or, or any woman, you yeah. know, it, it was <laughs> a very unusual character. I loved him. Great. Uh, okay, so Oscar Peterson, Hymn to Freedom. Yes. 
that's uh that's a, an absolutely beautiful track uh, um and I, I love how it it builds but it has a real um restrained quality about it but it's just thoroughly powerful throughout uh so what what do you have for us next Alec? well another big band one of the best ever count basie and the song is called splanky uh, now, all, all the arrangements for this particular album are done by Neil Hefty, who worked a lot with Count Basie. 
and this is a particularly, in my opinion, an excellent example of Hefty and Basie and fantastic band they have. Um, if I was a person who used French quotations, then I would say Joie de Vivre, that this particular track. It swings like mad. It's almost impossible to keep your legs on or your arms still. It, you know, all the lines are sharp and clean and all the sol soloists who we know, and they're, they're terrific. Um, and the excitement, uh, and it, it's just alive. The music is like alive and it makes you feel the same way, or it makes me feel the same way. So, yeah, Splanky makes you feel better any time of day.
Wow, that was uh, that was a fantastic, fantastic piece of music, and I just love the uh, the power of the big band. But it's not just blasting; it's almost like a a controlled, restrained power. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so, uh, Alec, what do we have next? We have the tenor player Hank Mobley and his well famous album Soul Station where he's in the company of Paul Chambers, Art Blakey and Wynton Kelly. Not bad for sidemen. Um, he was a firm favourite of Dick Morrissey, one of my favourite jazz musicians. And he told me that uh, he'd already worn out one album. This is in the days of vinyl, of course. Uh, he'd worn out one album, he was on to his second. And it really is timeless music. Uh, they're all ace players on it. You cannot go wrong. And Soul Station, I strongly recommend it.
So uh, what do you have next for us, Alec? Well, this was a venture for us, an adventure, a, a first venture, if you like, was to record some music specially written for uh, this recording uh, by Dave Newton and Clark Tracy. And we recorded it in the clubhouse in front of a a live audience, 
Dave Newton, Clark Tracy, Guy Barker, Martin Nightingale, Alan Barnes, Ian Dixon, Don Weller, and Andy Kleindert, quite a, a lineup. Um, it was uh, in the days, in the early days of the jazz club, um, I used to do, we had a very primitive sound system, and I was responsible for that as well. And this guy said to me um, one one evening, uh, early in in the, the days of Wakefield Jazz, can I give you a hand? This turned out to be Eric Parkin, who became almost an icon for the club, particularly amongst musicians and our solid nucleus of supporters at the club. So he became, well, the sound man. And so when they, we decided to do this, it was, um, they wrote the music, Dave and Clark, and they had a couple titled, because I can honestly claim, Faith in Alec, I had nothing at all to, <laughs> to do with that. So, so the, the other titles, um, like College Groove, was, you know, College Grove, Bootleg Eric, because, well, he was a bootlegger, but with permission. Springs Eternal is name of one of the main streets. And Blue Trinity refers to the local rugby league club, who used to be very famous. Um, so Eric, uh, the the bootleg Eric does refer directly to Eric Parkin, and he struck up many friendships because he used to record every every uh, gig. Uh, but only with permission. He always asked permission of of the musicians, and surprisingly, I, I reckon over ninety percent of them said, "Go ahead." And quite often they said, "As long as you send me a copy." <laughs> so Eric spent considerable money over the years posting off, probably mostly uh, tapes of the, of the various gigs. Uh, a lovely man, he's now over 80, uh, he, he just represents everything that's good about our club, that, that's good about music and musicians and everything, and this really, this record was really a tribute to him. And, the, and Eric has also been interviewed on Jazz Heads, and mm. uh, his selection of his 10 best tracks is available as a as a as an episode i think it's episode three or four um, but interestingly all the 10 tracks he picked are all artists that have played at wakefield jazz so uh, you can go back and listen to that one but this one is uh, the newton tracy band and uh, and bootleg eric <laughs>
So the uh, that was the homage to our very own bootleg Eric. Uh, next, you have a man who likes his bread with low sugar jam from Lewisham. Yes, that's Billy, Billy Jenkins, who you hear the word unique thrown about a lot these days and one-off and all that sort of thing. Well, Billy Jenkins really does fit the bill. There's nobody else like him in any way, as a musician or as a person. Um, It's very hard to describe Billy's gig. You've just got to go there and take part, because you do take part in it. And the music, well, when I tell you Dylan Bates, Ian Ballamy, Oren Marshall, Mike Pickering, Carol Grimes, are just a few of the people who play in his band. And one very important person is Richard Bolton, the guitar player, who is uh, part of the cement of the band. So all I can say is if you ever get the chance to go see him, uh, do because only then can you understand what it's all about, but it's brilliant. I only have one more word to say, and it's a word of warning. Billy recently stopped doing basically out-of-town gigs. He lives in London, and he was finding the travel very tiring. Uh, So he has taken up, as many people do, when after they've retired and he now conducts humanist funerals Thank you. 
just a, a pity we can't get uh, Billy Jenkins up to Wakefield that he just hangs around in Lewisham uh, nowadays um, now next uh, Cannonball Adderley and the track uh, I believe was written by Miles Davis and in fact I think on this track Miles acts as Cannonball's sideman 
uh, which is uh, quite a rarity, I would have thought. But um, tell us about the track. Yeah, something else. I, you could pick so many. And when you think uh, Cannonball Adderley, Julian, as he was christened, uh, died at the ridiculously young age of 46, imagine what he would have done, you know, with another 30 or 40 years to, to perform. Um, the band, of course, it contains Miles Davis, Art Blakey, Sam Jones, his brother, uh, Nat Adderley, um, and Art Blakey. So, you know, if you think about what he's done in subsequent years, well, you could never guess because uh, uh, it, it's just a great record, but so many of his, uh, I can only say, are, are equally as good. But, uh, you know, the, the people who have gone through his band and then this one song that, probably earned him more money than quite a few put together. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Uh, Joe Zawinol won't need to be reminded about it. Um, and I just recommend the record to it. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. 
Alex, it's been a real pleasure um, getting your uh, selections for Jazz Heads uh, and uh, you telling us various different stories about the club and about the musicians that you've worked with and the musicians that you've loved. Uh, this is your last track uh, out of 10. Uh, what have you got for us? Well, I wrote underneath the title, just a beautiful song to finish. Um, the, the lead is, is really taken by Carlos War playing the alto sax, who actually played at Whitefield Jazz. And 
with his boss, Abdullah Ibrahim, uh, accompanying him. Uh, I've got two daughters, and uh, my plan always was, when they got married, I was going to play this song at some stage of the wedding. Sadly, I'm still waiting. Um, but I recommend this for anybody. Ask your grandma to listen as well, because I can promise you she'll like it. Thanks. <laughs>